This is episode 380 of The Ziggler Show, and the title is Striving and Struggling for Your Calling. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and today Tom Ziegler and I are going to inspire your true performance by interviewing Dr. Ramesh Richard as he walks us through this. We each have an individual calling. It is our responsibility to pursue it. The pursuit will be a hard life full of striving and some struggle. It will also be the most joyful glorious, and fulfilling life we can imagine. You're what you are and where you are because of what's gone into your mind. You can change what you are. You can change where you are by changing what goes into your mind. You cannot become what you need to be by remaining what you are. If you can't take a huge step to begin with, Take as big a step as you can, but take it now. That's the key. Take it now. You can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Today's a brand new day, and it's yours. Welcome to The Ziggler Show, where we continue the legacy of Zig Ziggler, the world's foremost authority on the fuel for everything we pursue, motivation, inspiration, and a confident self-image. We apply that fuel to leadership, personal growth, sales, faith, family, and success. Our foundational purpose is to inspire true performance, and this is the goal of every show. I'm Kevin Miller, show host and devoted evangelist of inspiration, Tom Ziegler, Zig's son and the CEO of Ziegler, and I come to you every week to discuss Zig's teachings and bring you the absolute best of today's most inspirational leaders. We get down to the roots of what will absolutely expand human potential. Today, Ziegler fans, I bring you a special guest and a significant topic. Uh, Tom Ziegler and I are going to be interviewing Dr. Ramesh Richard as our guest today. And Tom brought uh, Ramesh to me and said, we need to talk to this guy. He has a huge vision and uh, just it's going to be a great show. I had not heard of Ramesh, so I went and learned about him, stumbled upon a talk that he did that talked about uh, striving. And that's what we went over in this interview. We just completed it. And folks, it was, uh, I I honestly, I struggled between paying attention and trying to write down the things that he said. We covered issues of, again, striving, uh, but the striving that is necessary when you are pursuing your calling. And so we talked about personal calling and the need for a, a big vision. And we talked about vision. And again, the way that he breaks us down, you just got to listen to the show. Uh, but we talked about aspects of, of calling and that calling is not just a faith based vocational terminology. You're calling uh, like mine, maybe in business, it may be in entertainment. And again, uh, Ramesh really takes this and breaks it down well, he, he just really blew me away with his aspects, his perspective, I should say, between the theological and the practical. We hit aspects of happiness versus joy and the ultimate fulfillment and joy of pursuing one's calling, and then got into a really interesting discussion on the difference and the balance of our calling 
and our giftings and really gave somewhat of a filter for those of you who are pursuing your calling or trying to discern your calling, that there is going to be a direct correlation to your personal giftings. So folks, it was just, it was just significant. If you do not know Dr. Ramesh Richard and want to learn more about him, you can find his website. It's R-R-E-A-C-H dot O-R-G, reach.org, but with two R's, and that's for his name, Ramesh Ramesh Richard. Um, but I'll give you a, real quick a, a bio. He's a prolific global speaker, presenter, and leader. His his bio is uh, is significant, and he is. You can go to his website and see a map of his travels. It's unbelievable. You got to go check that out. But he's the founder and serves as president of Reach, which is Ramesh Richard Evangelism and Church Health. Uh, and again, that website is rreach.org. But he's got a big vision to change the way 1 billion individuals think and hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he does it through evangelizing opinion leaders. He really works with other influencers and strengthening pastoral leaders, uh, primarily in other countries such as Asia, Africa, and Latin America. So, uh, I mean, he is a, an incredibly well-accomplished uh, leader. He's trained thousands of church leaders in over a hundred countries. He has spoken at the state, uh, uh, the African Union Heads of State Prayer Breakfast, the 23rd Annual International Prayer Breakfast at the United Nations in New York City. He was the keynote speaker. Um, but he lives in Dallas, and we did this interview. He and Tom Ziegler were actually sitting in Tom's office. Uh, he lives in Dallas with his wife, Bonnie and their three grown children. So tune in here and I'll tell you at the end of the interview, this is really interesting. He has a big vision to, uh, to help pastors with pastoral training. And uh, it's called Global Proclamation Congress for Pastoral Trainers is an event that is coming up. And he is literally looking for coaches. So at the end of this, he talks about that. He's literally there looking, interviewing a hundred, 100 coaches who will help shepherd pastors in training. And he talks through, it's really interesting. He talks through how many pastors we have out there in the world who are leading and shepherding people, but they've never really had any formal training in, in leadership, in strategy. Uh, and so he is committed to doing that because if they can't walk it out and he, and he talks about statistics on church failures. Uh, you know, there's, we talk where everybody likes to talk about church growth and new church plants, but how many of those don't make it? And that's where his heart is. So it's interesting. So for those of you, we know we have a lot of coaches and, and incredible uh, accomplished guides within the Ziegler audience. This may be something that you will feel called to. So, uh, so listen in, I am now going to bring you this really delightful and intriguing interview. Uh, I think you'll find it convicting as well. Um, it's going to be an eye opening interview with Dr. Ramesh Richard, uh, and Tom Ziegler, both sitting in Tom's office. This is going to be good. Here we go. Ramesh, thank you so much. What an honor it is to have you on the Ziegler show. Thanks for giving us uh, your time. I think you just flew into town uh, from uh, where, where where was it again? I spent uh, last week in two countries in Egypt. I was in Alexandria f- uh, for a day and Cairo for a day. Headed on to Moscow for about thirty six hours and and uh, came back uh, at the end of the week. It was wow. a very intense week in parts of the world. If you look at a map, 
they are explosive uh, geographies all across that region. Yeah, I, I looked at the uh, kind of the map on your website of your travels, and it was uh, mind blowing to say the least. Um, but so, thank you for taking the time and being here with us. So, Tom, uh, you initially brought Ramesh uh, to the Ziggler Show, and you said uh, he has a Zig story, a huge vision, and you know he'll be great. So, I know. T- tell me, like, r- of the many things I know you're excited about, what excites you uh, that you wanted to bring Ramesh on the show for? Well, I tell you, the, the main thing is that uh, Ramesh has a, a vision to impact lives around the world, and it's followed through with action. And we met, was it about two weeks ago, yes. 10 days ago? Mm-hmm. And he was sharing with me a huge goal. Dad called big goals BHAGs, mm-hmm. big, hairy, audacious goals. And the reason I love it is, is it's definitely about faith. It's about Christianity, but there's always a plan to support it. And right now, one of the challenges we face in our world, whether it's the business world or as an individual or in the church, is we can get really excited about enthusiasm or motivation uh, because of redemption or or because of a life-changing event, but then the support to follow through is lacking. And so at Ziegler, Dad always said, we never give a promise without a plan, and Ramesh and his mission and what he does does the same thing. And Ramesh, I've talked too much. I'd love to hear your, you know, I know uh, you've been a longtime friend of Ziegler and yes. uh, we've crossed paths through the years. So I'd love to hear your, your Ziegler insight and Ziegler wisdom as we d- dig into this. Sure. Uh, my connection to uh, Zig Ziegler started because we, we shared a common mentor by the name of Fred Smith Sr., and uh, Fred, who I've always called Mr. Smith, till after he passed away, uh, was a, a friend and a mentor to, uh, to your dad, Zig Ziglar, and, and to me. And as a result, the six of us, the Smiths, the Zigglers, and my wife Bonnie and I had dinner together. We met a few times. I'm grateful uh, for the energy and the enthusiasm, what I'm going to call... Uh, the contagion of performance, which uh, Zig Ziglar uh, infused into uh, individuals, into businesses, into companies, into professions. But it was all generated from a deep-rooted commitment that was vertical, from which he drew um, the energy and the power to experience himself and then to share it with all his large audiences all over the world. So I'm grateful to be on this uh, particular program uh, I know that, uh, Tom, uh, you're carrying this mantle, and, and, and this is a wide and deep-reaching mantle. So continue the journey very, very well. Well, uh, Ramesh, when Tom brought you to my attention and I looked up, there's, there's, uh, you're a prolific writer and speaker and presenter, uh, but I was intrigued. I found a message that you gave at the Dallas Theological Seminary, where you have been involved for, uh, for so long, on the topic of striving, and you focused on the scripture, Colossians one twenty nine. Uh, to this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Uh, at least that's a translation that I had. I think that's New King James. But you put the emphasis on toil and laboring and striving and from a, 
a face value, those are not the most attractive terms that people gravitate towards, which you talked about in your talk. You said you spoke uh, to or you were, were amongst a group of millennials who were admitted, admittedly concerned about their own laziness and lethargy and admitting their fear and how they didn't want to risk much of anything. Uh, there are so many things they can't control, economic and social factors, and they ultimately are seeking a trouble-free life and a task-free life. And that's where you expounded on. So my, my initial thought on that, Ramesh, was, I mean, while you're, you referenced some millennials there, is this to some degree acutely showcasing, I mean, they're acutely showcasing this, but do you see this across our culture, a propensity to be remaining safe instead of risking to do something bigger than ourselves? Right. Uh, and thanks for listening to it so carefully and, and uh, rehearsing it so well, Kevin. You almost did it better than I presented today. <laughs> You're uh, gracious. Uh, the, the, the challenge of, of uh, a risk-free life uh, constantly consumes us because we would like to be safe. We would like the pain-free life, but anything of consequence uh, that has lasting impact has taken people who have always uh, had to step out uh, into zones and across lines of of uh, being uh, challenged with, with uh, the impossible situation and then seeing uh, those impossible situations become reality. Hudson Taylor, who uh, was a missionary in, in China, says all great things first start with impossible, then it becomes difficult, and finally gets done. And I usually say, along with the impossible difficult done, while you're pursuing the impossible, uh, the person who's serving God uh, becomes undone at the end of it. Uh, because it's simply too difficult a task to accomplish, to pursue, and yet the task in itself is worth pursuing and implementing for the sake of both earthly and eternal consequence, and uh, to reach into one individual so that there's life change is worth all the effort that I can possibly give. God will go any distance to reach into one person, and I would like to mimic God in this uh, uh amazing need to change one person at a time uh, for eternity. Well, so that's a big statement. Anything of consequence causes us, we're going to have to step across lines and zones. And I like that impossible, difficult, and then finally done. It reminds me of a friend of mine who said in a, in a meeting one time, would God call us to anything that did not drastically require him? Uh, and that that hit me over the head uh, pretty harshly because I tend to falter towards self-sufficiency. So I, I'm with you in tracking on the, the importance of this topic. So a question in this, back to your talking about this group of millennials and their, uh, their gravitating towards lethargy to a degree. You know, we as a culture, maybe even more so as Christians, I mean, we see the atrocities of life, and I think we're somewhat aghast. We're so far removed from committing a, a blatantly evil act. We wouldn't do that. We can so easily think of ourselves as you know nice, righteous people, and yet our enemy, Satan, knows he can tempt us to do, uh, he can't tempt us to do something or accept something so blatant. So do you feel maybe the primary strategy that is being used in our culture today and our uh, against our spirits is just to entice us into this uh, like a responsible irrelevancy, it seems like. 
That's well, uh, well said. There is also um, the reality of economic well-being leading to some kinds of withdrawal huh. and restraint. And because we are safe and we have uh, reasonably predictable lives, uh, you get up in the morning, have a cup of coffee, get some news and, and have another cup of coffee, uh, head on to work, uh, uh, you know, pick up your email, get some coffee, another appointment or lunch, and the way back, you, you really want to stop, stop at Starbucks and, 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 uh, and watch uh, some news in the night and, and do it over and over again. And the safety of what may be called uniformity and regularity by which natural systems work are not the same kinds of safety that human systems need in order for us to grow. We will never grow unless there were things beyond what we were able and capable of doing. I have uh, a little travel bag that I carry with me. Uh, some of the travel bags that I carry with me have capacity but not capability. That means they're large, but they're not strong. There are other travel bags I carry which have capability. They're strong, but they don't have volume. They don't have capacity. And mm -hmm. throughout our lives, God is uh, uh, creating both capacity and capability in uh, us, and that can only be developed when we face challenges, troubles, suffering, struggles, that we in ourselves could not meet. This morning in my devotional feeding, I was in 2 Corinthians 1, where Paul says, I despaired even of life itself. It is not unusual to, to feel that way. He said these were things far beyond our ability to endure. And that is how we have to live, pursuing things that are far beyond our ability to endure if there are going to be things of uh, earthly and eternal consequence. Now, we never pursue uh, suffering for the sake of suffering. That's an Eastern view of suffering. But we don't run away from struggle just because there's struggle. That's the Western view of, of struggle. We just pursue God's will and God's work and whatever it takes and the cost that it demands of us. Uh, we, in the power of God that you just read from Colossians 1.29, which is proportionate, which is simultaneous, which is active, uh, we can execute what God wants us uh, to obey and be and do, to know, to love, and to accomplish. I've got a comment that I would like uh, for you to make. Uh, I was at, <clears throat> with mom and dad, we went to Fred Smith's memorial service. And I'm sure you watched the video where he gave his parting words. And in that video, he said something that I've never forgotten. And he was talking about his last year on this earth. Yes. Uh, he, he was bedridden. He had kidney failure. He, he would wake up in the morning with barely enough strength to open his eyes. And he would negotiate with God, and he would say, I'm too tired to do anything. And God would lay on his heart something to do, which at that point was to call his daughter Brenda over and tell her God is told me to tell you this, to write it down. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that is truly toiling when in the moment when life is dear and time is short, the wondering of why we toil could be greater. Uh, but then Fred said something very powerful. He said that's when he learned the biggest lesson of his life. Mm. And that is that God doesn't give us the strength to overcome. He gives us the strength while we overcome. Yeah. And that always hit me, and I talked to Brenda about it, who's been on the Ziegler Show podcast, and, and I think it was taken from uh, Oswald Chambers, maybe, 
that thought, uh, but it was real to him in that moment. So when I speak, I tell people if something, if God, if there's something big on your heart that you know is impossible and you're f- afraid to step out, that's the very reason you should step out because God gives you the ability, the strength while you're overcoming, not mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. But then you said something I would like for you to comment. Comment on that. But also, what I hear in, in what you said is we should take joy in the toil, in the strive, in the growth. So I just love your, your feedback on that. Yes. Uh, we know that joy and happiness are of distinct orders of experience. That is not only um, a theological distinction, it is actually chemically proven that joy is of a different order than than happiness. If we're only searching for happiness, which is, of course, one of our constitutional rights, as I remember, (laughs) uh, not the achieving, but at least the pursuit of happiness, we were very, very careful with life. We will not do anything that requires beyond what our current perception of what we can bring to the, uh, to the, the challenge. But the issue of joy has to do with what cannot be accomplished by myself, but is accomplished by God through me. And both those propositions are important, Tom and Kevin, by and through. Nothing is by me, but some things are through me. Through me means that I'm just an instrument. Recently, I was in in Sri Lanka speaking at an event, and they call it the VIP room because of of the kinds of people that were coming to it. And and I got up and said, you know, VIP could stand for very important persons, but I'd like to change it to very instrumental persons. You and I are instruments. Now, an instrument does not have any power in itself mm. unless it comes from the source of power. So nothing is by me, but something is through me. I notice that when I attempt to do things by my power, joy recedes. But when I make myself available for God to do it through me, joy exceeds and actually increases. As often I have to evaluate myself when I'm facing overwhelming things without being overwhelmed by them. It notices, I notice that I'm doing it as an instrument. But if I'm overwhelmed by them while doing the overwhelming things, I am inserting a degree of importance to myself that I should not be. So uh, I'd like to uh, recommend uh, Fred Smith's wonderful quip, you know, uh, we are not the pump, we're simply the pipe. And that will echo with what you've just finished uh, saying as well, uh, well, Tom. Joy is in the duty itself. Joy is fulfilling the toil but also seeing it being accomplished when you know when you started that it was completely impossible to get done. Uh, Every one of the challenging miracles of the Lord Jesus, which Jesus asked the disciples to pursue, for example, the feeding of the 5,000, was impossible for them to execute. Uh, But in the obedience, while they were distributing the food, the food becomes multiplied and the people go home satisfied. So to, from what Brenda said and Fred has said, and Oswald Chambers has think is the source, God gives you uh, the privilege of overcoming as you obey, rather than before it and not after it. You are dead tired after it, but as you're obeying, he gives you the strength to overcome. Wow, love it. Yeah, so 
you made a statement uh, in regards to our economic well-being, and, and I'm going to reference, and we're, uh, as you are a global uh, man, that we have a show here that uh, crosses many, many borders and oceans as well, but it's primarily in America. That's our biggest listening audience. So as you are going around the globe, we here in America, obviously uh, one of the most affluent places where, yeah, that economic well-being causing us to withdraw is what you said, that we do have uh, have the ability for these safe, predictable lives. We did a show recently and talked about the affluence is, is in that respect, almost a, a handicap. And with your, your I'm going to talk about vision. You're such a man of, of great vision. Is that really where, as opposed to you said, you know, it's not that we want to go out and seek hardship, but do we just simply need to expand our vision? And from that, we will have the need for real striving. Yes. Uh, vision is an important component because what we see is what is going to control us. And how we read reality is going to be significantly influencing how much of energy we exert for any particular cause, whether it's a good cause or a bad one. And so uh, vision is a critical component that can only be spent and discovered. Notice I use the word the spending of a vision, uh-huh. which allows for a humility of vision as well and can only be discovered uh, through a process of saying everything that I have that I seek for my comfort and my safety is at your disposal, God. They're surrendered to you. Tomorrow everything could be gone, and we know people who have experienced things that have been uh, you know, uh, quickly taken away, whether it's health or uh, monies or uh, other kinds of privileges uh, that they've had, that... Uh, in the obedience comes the freedom and the contentment of uh, obeying God into a vision that can only be, in, be seen in terms of outlines rather than defined with uh, great precision and concretion. Uh, the difference between myself and a tomato, the difference between myself uh, and uh, my dog is the privilege of saying ahead of time. It's a vision and a destination that we can pursue. So vision is an important connection to the energies and the obedience that you bring uh, uh, to your life, to your daily existence. Otherwise, uh, we will be just like my dog gets up every morning, barks, and neighboring dogs chases his own tail and, and squirrels up a tree and comes back in the night in order to go to sleep. Well, within so that big vision, and again, back to that topic of striving, you made a distinction in the talk that I listened to that I want to ask you to share with our audience here between striving and struggling. Yes, uh, striving and struggling. If I were to ask a person, are you struggling today? The answer would often be yes, because of some challenge he or she is facing. But if I were to ask a question, are you striving today? Striving has beyond myself in focus that there is a goal to pursue, there's a task to accomplish, there's a vision to, uh, to go after. So striving has a task component, it's an energy component, which allows um, you to pick up, get ready in the morning, uh, get cleaned up and go, go to a task and a cause that's worth it. If the cause is important, 
the causes are irrelevant. If the cause is not important, we will, we will slip back into lethargy and laziness. So, striving is much deeper than struggling. Now, you may struggle while you're striving, but it's possible to not have a striving goal and yet struggle in daily life. Right. right. That statement, if the cause is important, the cause, the cost is worth it. You, in, in talking about striving in the way that you described it, it made me think about, gosh, that's the people I want to be around is those who are striving towards something. And you mentioned before we came on the show, and I'll ask it, uh, it seems like an appropriate time here, that you have three components of the intentional life. And that made me think of those, those who strive. I want to be that. I want to be around people like that. What are your three components of an intentional life? Right. One of the distinct human markers, markers of human identity and humanity over against mere animal brute existence it's a privilege of being intentional. Uh, you can be intentional after high things or low things, big things or small things, far things or near things, but you have the privilege of being intentional. Mm. I usually say there are three components to the intentional life. The first one is passion. Now, passion, people usually understand it. Anything you can really get excited about. You know, I have a passion for food. I have a passion for football. I have a passion for my family. But the word passion in the Bible really uh, stands for suffering. Uh, you know, the last week of the Lord's life is called a Passion Week. Mm-hmm. I don't think Jesus was overexcited about going to the crucifixion uh, sequence. However, Passion asks and understands the question, what do you love so much that you're willing to suffer for it? So Passion is, what do you love first? What do you love most? And of course, the first commandment addresses that matter, uh, uh, both in the Old and the New Testaments, repeated uh, in the New Testament Uh, By all the synoptic gospels, love the Lord your God with everything that you've got, with all you've got, what you know of him. The second word is the word mission. Mission has to do with what you do every day. Uh, Mission uh, answers the the question, uh, which which is more than what, actually, is why do I do what I do every day? Uh, for the Christian, it's distinctly different. Why you do what you do every day is, is to make God look great. And that's why you do what you do, whether it's work or family in the big sectors of life. The third word is the word vision. Vision is really a destination optical question, a uh, comment that you can uh, easily understand is, is where am I going? What's the destination uh, that I'm headed toward? Or we, I think earlier in this talk, mentioned Oswald Chambers. He said, vision answers the question, how much can God help himself to my life? That is a great question. How much can God help himself to my life? How can, uh, he he helps not, not because God needs my help or anything. It's just a question of surrender and abandonment and saying, God, this is what I've got. Please help yourself to my life, to the vision that you have. And from Scripture, there's one vision, which is an overarching vision. We have many visions that are smaller, which are worthwhile, some which are not worthwhile. But the big, large vision is that there will be one day seated at the banquet table of God's heaven, people from east and west and south and north. And it says that many will be seated in the banquet table, at the banquet table of the kingdom of God. 
So if all our vision, our junior visions, our flawed visions, our, our sub-visions can be assumed and subsumed under God's vision of getting people from all over the world in large numbers seated at the banquet table of God's kingdom, then anything that we pursue, whether it's in church or in work or in our professions or in our businesses, whether in government or in education or entertainment, all of them become sanctified and they have a justification in their own right. So vision answers a question, am I going the same direction to the same destination as to where God is moving history toward and will I align and submit to it? Okay, perfect segue into where I really wanted to land today, which, and again, this comes from that talk that you did and talking about striving, but you ultimately came to one's calling. And in that, that's a big word, has a lot of different perspectives on that. I think a is attributed to a faith-based perspective. And I, so I so much appreciate you saying just there that whether it's church or work or business or entertainment, it can be uh, sanctified. But looking at calling, I think people are often overwhelmed. If I give myself over to the calling of my life, it will be, it will be hard work, which you said. But my question is, is it not going to be though something that comes from the desires, the true desires God has put in our heart. And it is where we will find, as you talked about earlier, uh, maybe the, the daily toiling may not always be happy, but it is where our greatest joy will be found. Yes, uh, you're right, Kevin. And uh, the word calling is used in many, many ways. In scripture, we have the two broad areas. One is what is called salvation calling, where God calls a person to salvation eternal life through the Lord Jesus. The second kind of calling is what may be called vocational calling, where people in their normal course of life not only feel God's pleasure, but fulfill God's purposes wherever they are placed, behind a desk, making decisions, making money, uh, being a doctor or engineer, uh, whatever God has placed at their hands to do. There are some other matters of calling in the scripture, which is uh, secondary and tertiary. For example, marriage is seen as a calling, or even suffering is seen as a calling. My best word for calling is what I am um, going to term as mustness or oughtness. What must I do? What should I do that I will not, uh, never not do? An oughtness, as it were. And that kind of an internal compulsion takes everything that we do, all the sectors of life, and subsumes them under the greater calling of God wants, what God wants for this planet, for what God wants from individuals, for what God wants uh, for, for history and geography. So wherever God has placed you, that is the platform, the sphere of your calling, so that it contributes to God's purposes. Now, underneath calling is also your gifting your experience, your preparation, your education, your early childhood, everything all falls in, in, in broad alignment uh, to what God has prepared in eternity for you to fulfill as good works that only you can, in a niche, specific, unique way, complete. And he will do that uh, through your availability and through your instrumentality. So, Don't take calling only in a spiritual way, though it has spiritual ends. In the most mundane parts of life, there is a calling that is operating. 
So I have a question that I'm struggling with because I'm, I listen constantly to different thought leaders and, uh, and it has to do with this idea of calling, this idea of my purpose in life, my idea of what I'm passionate about doing. They all kind of intersect. That's correct. Mm -hmm. And so my question is this. Uh, one of the people that I, that I really enjoy and listen to, uh, he talks about that when, when we're struggling between picking between something we want to do or we love to do, and the compensation for that is significantly different than something else we could do. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. In other words, uh, if we go into what we're passionate about, maybe I'll use an example as being an artist, we might make 20% of what we could do go doing over here. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And this person says, you need to think hard about which way you go because uh, his quote is, is that God is never more satisfied than when we solve the needs of his kids. Uh -huh. And so from an economic perspective, uh -huh. we can have a bigger impact in the kingdom uh -huh. by choosing an economically focused decision. Uh -huh. And I can make as many arguments on the other, other side. side as well, yeah. So I would love for you to just comment on that because at, at Ziegler, we get this question all the time. We have people who come in and they say, I've done this career, but, you know, I'm ready for a change. It's Bob Buford. It's halftime. It's, it's something new. How do I balance those, you know, those things between economics, between passion, between calling and purpose? Yes. And there's both a, both a theological side and a practical, practical side to it. Uh, the mission statement that we have at REACH uh, has both gifting and calling embedded in the mission statement. Gifting is how God has uh, infiltrated you, imbued you with spiritual gifts that you love uh, operating in the area and the sphere of your strengths. You keep developing those gifts, but you don't manufacture gifts. God gives them the gifts, you recognize them, discover them, and then develop them to implement them. The other side is the calling side. The calling side is not necessarily things that you're comfortable with, things that are going to be easy. And yet, because we follow somebody who did much more than what is easy for him in coming down being with us, I ask people to distinguish between gifting and calling but calling will take you way beyond your gifts and your comforts to accomplish in obedience what God wants for this world. But gifting is the primary way by which that calling, but not the only way by which that calling is executed. I usually like to distinguish between God's role and our role you know, when we operate. For example, in the way of gifting. We cannot manufacture gifts. God the Spirit sovereignly distributes gifts in whichever way he wants, which, by the way, allows me to be satisfied with my gifts, not to be envious of another person's gifts, to develop them as best as I possibly can and deploy them. Another area is in the area of opportunities. Now, in business, we can possibly create opportunities, but in ministry, when you try to create an opportunity, you're never sure whether God created it or you created it. And you want to be careful about uh, opportunities. And, uh, because uh, Fred used to say, you know, every opportunity is not a mandate. You can go create an opportunity, but it's not necessarily a mandate for you. Another is the area of promotion. God's 
uh, role in, my role in promotion. I don't think we're ever called to promote ourselves. I think we're called to present ourselves as excellently as possible, as wonderfully and um, usefully as possible, but, but never to promote ourselves. God gives favor. God gives you promotion. God gives you acceptance, and not with everybody. I do realize the of men uh, probably in the middle age saying, I've done uh, a lot of things. God's given me a degree of success. What significant things should I pursue next? As I read the Bible, Kevin and Tom, I don't see anybody in the Bible pursuing significance. They uh, don't pursue significance at all except for the builders of the Tower of Babel. The builders of the Tower of Babel are trying to pursue significance to build a tower that's the tallest building on the planet. And by the way, that, that tower is not finished. The project never gets over. But what I do find people in the Bible pursuing is usefulness. How can I be useful to God? They pursue fruitfulness. How can I be fruitful for God? And then, of course, the parable of the Lord Jesus. How can I be profitable to the Master? Those are good questions which will help balance out both the theological and the practical side. It will take away the pragmatic end of the decision-making, which says the economic contribution is the primary way of defining significance. Because nobody in the Bible is really pursuing significance. Now, invest in those kinds of resources as means. Let there be economic means, but let them not be economic ends. So if the ends are economic, then I think that's a problem. But if the, if the means are economic, you are allowed to do greater things uh, for God, deeper things for God, wider things for God, and larger things for God. I am, am writing frantically to get down the uh, that theological and practical. You are masterful in helping me see both sides. I I have um I have one one aspect I want to ask you on back to the giftings and callings, and uh, then lead us into Tom. I'm going to ask you to share a little bit about what something that. Uh, uh, Ramesh is working on right now, uh, talking about big visions, uh, lead into that. But if you, so calling takes us beyond our giftings. I hear that, understand that, but you kept back to, it is going to be in a sense, you said, you know, primarily it is going to encompass our giftings. So many people struggle, as you know, to understand what is their calling? Should that be a reasonable filter to look through. If you feel called to something and yet realize it is not going to have you engaged in the a majority of time in your giftings, you're probably a little errant in, in how you're, how you're seeing your calling because I mean, should we even not to break it down to a number, but is it an 80, 20 rule? 80% of the time you should be in your giftings. Is that fair? Uh, you know, everybody uses the 80-20 principle. I know. Uh, don't they? <laughs> Forgive me. I have dealt with some of this, uh, Kevin and Tom, in a series of books called The Intentional Life Trilogy, oh. Soul Passion, Soul Mission, Soul Vision, that might be of help. But let me uh, give a brief on discovering gifting and discovering calling. Discovering gifting, I usually say here are some principles. One is going to be called the principle of recognition. Do others recognize you as having a gift? Not just you, your wife, your, your mother, and your kids recognize you as, as gifted in a particular way. I think it's even possible to deny what is really your gifting 
because you don't see yourself as being gifted unless others recognize uh, those dimensions. The second principle is the, the principle of satisfaction. When you're in the realm of your gifting, you'll find a degree of satisfaction that uh, you have pleased God and you've fulfilled His purposes. Another principle is the criterion of attraction. You'll often find yourself attracted to other people who have similar giftings. Not uh, pursuing them for the sake of their giftings, but you, f- you find a degree of attraction. I now want to move to the discovery of calling. Calling often has to do with areas in which God took you and crushed you, tenderized you, pulverized you, and made you sensitive to things and needs that are around you that otherwise you would have dismissed or neglected. And when you go through these very difficult crisis experiences, instead of throwing away providence, because God doesn't throw away suffering, we try to see if there is a connection between providence and my suffering. That is a little uh, longer in development. Here are some things I think every leader needs to do in discovering his calling. The first is what I'm going to call prayerful thinking. I have a notebook right in front of me. Uh, it's my most important tool. And each day I attempt to do some prayerful thinking. And sometimes once a month or so I go extended times just in prayerful thought. God, what um, are you doing in me? What would you like to do through me? And after prayerful thought is what I'm going to call a thoughtful decisions. This means uh, we don't make whimsical decisions. We don't make decisions uh, just because uh, there is an emotional need at the uh, edge of our nerve endings. Uh, because today I might feel one way, tomorrow I would not feel the same way. So in thoughtful decision making. But the third part is what Tom mentioned at the very opening of this podcast when he said we've got to go into a plan. I'm going to call it decisive action. Because it's possible to be thinking, 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 continue with concepts after concepts without moving into the stage of decisive action. At some point, you make decisions and then act on it. I think in the mixture of these three, prayerful thought, thoughtful decisions, and then decisive action, your calling is going to, uh, to emerge. And of course, all this is written with ink or on a computer, so everything is changeable. Uh, God can change all of this just very, very fast. Uh, one health situation, one child going astray, you know, one bad decision that you've made or a temptation to which you've succumbed, all of that can change very fast. But provisionally, instead of living inside a strategic plan, I recommend that people live inside a strategic framework, the framework of the gifting, the framework of the thinking, the framework of the preparation, and then see it develop as God uh, in his own wonderful GPS system, not just with his voice and say, this is a good way to walk, turn to the right, turn to the left. As uh, you obey me, I'll show you more light into your calling. I, lo- I love that last piece. I, I have the mental picture of, in the one hand, I could have the map, and in the other hand, by my side, I could have the map maker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you're talking about walking with the map maker. Mm-hmm because there could be a problem in the road ahead mm-hmm. and your map doesn't see it. Mm-hmm. Ah, I love that. Well, for folks listening, uh, you mentioned the intentional life trilogy uh, and folks, the website again is reach.org and that's R R E A C H. 
www.gifting.org. And speaking of that site and of giftings, uh, if you when you go to that site, there's a he has a, some scrolling three scrolling pictures, but the very first one shows a graphic, and it says it's a Global Proclamation Congress for Pastoral trainers. And when we talk about giftings, uh, and Tom, I'm going to ask you to, to, to speak on this and then uh, let Ramesh talk on this. You've got a big vision going on and you are looking for, uh, I think, a hundred people who have a, a gifting in uh, coaching and guidance. Tom, lead us into that. When we met about 10 days ago, uh, Ramesh shared this this vision. And this vision is, and I'm going to let I'm going to let you talk about the statistics and the overwhelming need. Okay. Uh, but the the vision was simply to equip uh, pastors to have an impact beyond salvation of their own right into the call to the preaching, but to be able to sustain a church. Mm-hmm. And underpinning that is is something that our Ziegler audience is very very familiar with, and that is every great leader needs a coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, the greatest athletes in the world, the top business people in the world, no matter what profession you go into, there's always a mentor or a coach who is encouraging, holding accountable, and asking the right questions. And so I'm going to let you speak to this need because this is the this was the, hey, we've got to have this on a podcast because not only is there great wisdom here, but I know in our listeners... Mm-hmm. There are people whose tug, whose passion is to support through coaching or through encouragement. And so this can be done on a global scale right where you are. So I'll let you kind of describe what we're talking about. Uh, Thanks, Tom and Kevin, for setting uh, the stage. I'd like to address it in in three ways. One is the overall realities that are shaping this vision, and then the particular project, and then a call to action of the audience, if that's all right. The uh, overall realities are four. One is the sheer number of of, uh, human beings on the planet. There are 7.3 billion people uh, in our world today. A billion is so large that just over a billion minutes have passed from the Lord Jesus till now, just over two billion minutes from Moses till now. And a billion is a very, very large number. So we need to do something of large scale. Uh, Otherwise, uh, we don't address the needs of, of individuals on a large scale. The second reality is the world of the Christian faith. There are 2.3 billion self-identified Christians, meaning in a census, they will say they're Christian over against any other religion. Now, it does not mean that all have a personal vital relationship and a saving relationship with uh, the Lord Jesus, but they will identify themselves as Christian. So not only the world of people and the world of the Christian faith, the world of the church. The world of the church, they will be 5 million congregations that are planted between now and the end of this decade. That is an amazing number. Actually, 50,000 new believers are baptized every day. Uh, I think that is incredible. It's only attributable to God moving across the world. But if we have 50,000 new believers, you need 1,000 new pastors every day just to nurture the embryonic faith. Uh, And we'll never catch up. And if there are 5 million congregations to be planted between now and the end of the decade, here's the other sad side of it, that 70% of these congregations will fail within the first year because they don't have adequate shepherding. Nobody there to preserve the fruit of all this labor and justify the cost of all this labor. 
So we'd like to do something in large numbers of individuals, preserve the fruit, nurture the faith, justify the cost. And here's a final statistic which allows us to talk about uh, the need for coaches. There are 2.2 million pastoral leaders in the world, functional shepherds, who are ministering every week, including last weekend, uh, which are being Holy Week, and Holy Week in other parts of the world is coming up at the end of April. But 95% of these 2.2 million pastoral leaders don't have any training to be in pastoral ministry. Just like you won't get on a plane where the pilot's not been trained or go to a doctor who's not been trained, um, why should people go to a congregation where the pastor is not trained? And in terms of consistent, close proximity and uh, long-term uh, influence on people, a pastor has greater influence than any other profession in the world. And yet only 5% of them formally trained. We'd like to reduce that deficit uh, so that uh, we can increase spiritual health worldwide. In order to do that, we build a conviction which drives our vision. The conviction is very simple. The health of the pastor affects the health of the church, and the health of the church affects the health of the communities in which they live. Pastoral health affects church health. Church health affects societal health. You are sitting proof wherever you are right now of this conviction and assumption. Uh, you experience it daily. Uh, actually, if the pastor is healthy, churches are healthy. And if churches are healthy, the pastors are healthy too. And if churches are healthy, people are deployed all across uh, businesses and professions and life and realities across uh, the entire spectrum of existence. Teachers and, and uh, business folks and, and, and parents and and. And uh, you, you are healthier because of that. You bring better virtues and better values into the communities in which God has uh, placed you. So we're trying to now focus on the health of the pastor. And the way to focus on the health of the pastor is to bring those who provide health to the pastor. These are called trainers of pastors. Pastoral trainers. They are found in both formal settings like Bible colleges and seminaries. They're found in non-formal settings, like in seminars, like Ziegler seminars, okay? So pastoral leaders are continually upskilling, upgrading, and they need, they know their need. The number one fear of a pastor all across the world is the fear of preaching next Sunday. I've been to places where pastors don't know Jesus is coming back. They do all kinds of magic with the Bible. Uh, they, they teach that the Old Testament needs to be followed with Levitical sacrifices today, uh, because they think that's what the Bible says. And, and so we, uh, it's a dangerous situation, even though we have this many, this many pastors. I would like to bring trainers of pastors together. The Lord willing, in June this year, in, in Bangkok, Thailand, one of the two, top two uh, tourist destinations in the world, London is the other one, there will be 5,000 trainers of pastors that we're envisioning from 200 countries coming together from both formal training and non-formal training sectors. But uh, that is just an eight-day event. Uh, we have a conviction at reach that every event begins the day after. Every event begins the day after, otherwise we just had coffee or had a lunch. Coffee and lunches are good, but then unless there's follow-up, there is uh, no weight and distribution of, of the responsibility and the goals of a Congress or of any event really. So we're looking for 100 coaches. These are usually uh, men and women who are in the second uh, stage, third stage of life with some degree of accomplishment, 
who have done project management, who have gone from uh, thought to implementation, from concept to execution, who can help pastoral trainers think and plan on how to implement their own goals for however many pastors they're going to train. We're asking for an average of 25 pastors a year for four years, 100 pastors over four years that every trainer, every delegate trains. But many trainers across the world have never done any planning, let alone going from plan to execution. And so I would like uh, this particular audience to which I'm speaking right now, and I want to thank Kevin, you, and Tom for opening up this great opportunity. If you would like a global outlet for your work and life impact, you've been looking for ministry uh, in some specific way that will not be too intense because uh, you still have lots of other obligations, and yet will maintain a relationship of updating, monitoring, helping a pastoral trainer think through how to go about setting up a project, implementing it, continuing in a relationship base, and updating uh, the reports. I want to welcome 100 of you to come to our website, reach.org, R-R-E-A-C-H.org. You can actually write to me at Ramesh, R-A-M-E-S-H, R-A-M-E-S-H, at reach.org. And uh, please let us know that you would like to consider being a coach. We will interview you, send you a profile, and we will welcome you. If you get there, we will look after you for those eight days, and uh, we'll have the joy of covering your internal costs. We call them coaches. Uh, We want you to establish relationships with the whole world. My estimate is that you'll have about 10 such trainers that you can shepherd from concept to execution as a gift that you give to both your Lord Jesus, but also to the world of ministry. Yeah, just just to sum that up very quickly, in the business world all the time, we train individuals how to put in a new system, a new plan, and then they go back to life, and the number one one reason they don't do it we call FTI, which is failure to implement. Yeah. And the reason they don't implement is because they don't have a support and they don't have accountability. And so a great coach is simply going to be making a call, either Skype call or on the phone, coaching and talking to one of these pastoral trainers who have said, I'm committed to reaching out and and training 25 pastors over the next year. The coach's responsibility is simply to call and and befriend them, encourage them, hold them accountable, and help them think through their implementation strategy. Exactly. You said it just right. We would like the coaches to be in Bangkok, and we would like to invite them to be our guests. If they get there, we'll host them there, because accountability with the relationship will even mean much, much more over the long term. Okay. What what an incredible vision. I did not know that all the specifics of it. And that is, uh, that's a big offering and opportunity. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go back, I think, and re-record the intro here. I want, I want to let people know a bit about what is coming here in the show and this offer. 
uh, and this opportunity right at the beginning as well. Well, thank you so much, uh, Ramesh. Thank you for giving your time, your heart. Uh, again, I, I sat here and took so many notes, and you have such a gifting uh, in the way that you do marry that uh, the theological and the practical. That is uh, uh, it was profound. Thank you for your time, for taking time out of your busy schedule to speak to us and to the Ziegler audience. I know they will be immensely blessed. Thank you, Tom uh, Ziegler and Kevin. I really appreciate this. And maybe I should just go on to, to saying uh, the same thing I said in the message that you heard. Strive on, strive on. Thank That's you. That's what it takes. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Well, folks, there you go. Strive on, and we will see you in the next Ziegler show. Mm-hmm.